Hello, welcome to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. My name is Warren Crank and I'm here with Colin Nias and we're talking about a bit of his life and story, but also the wonderful town of Manham in South Australia where he lives. So Colin, if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the town. Uh, g'day. As uh, I said, I'm Colin. I'm pastor of Manham Community Church. Manham is a small rural community uh, in the mid-Murray of South Australia, about 85k uh, directly east of Adelaide uh, and on the beautiful River Murray. Uh, being the t- closest town, we're actually a lot of the water supply for Manham as well. Uh, Manham's a town of about uh, 2,600 people, so a uh, little town, but uh, it has over the past years, during my lifetime anyway, declined and recovered again. Used to be based on farming machinery, now it's really looking at tourism and retirement. So it's reinventing him, uh, itself as a town and um, Colin's going to be talking a bit about some of the initiatives he's a part of in, in making Manham even a better place to live. But in, originally, who were the original um, people who were custodians of that part of the world? Yeah, I live and play on Nangaraku land. Uh, they're uh, centred just north of Manham in a little town called Nildotti, uh, but they covered our area and they're a subset of the Narangiri people. And we pay our respects to those people, um, even as we do our little talk together today. Now, Colin is a man who's uh, had quite the journey, and I'd, we'd love to hear from him a little bit about his story. He grew up early days, at least in Manham, and then some adventures and back again. So. Colin, give us a bit of a sort of summary of where you've been and what you've done. Okay, as it was said, I was born in Manham, so it makes me a local, even coming back years later. Spent the first 17 years of my life there, did all my schooling through Manham, and then when I turned 17, finished school, I escaped, as everybody did, to head off to the big city uh, to work. Uh, Worked in the finance industry, uh, married, raised a family, Uh, I had grown up in the church in Manham, but then got distracted by really what were good things. My focus on looking after and caring for my family uh, really got in the way of serving God, and I drifted away from the church. Uh, Life got tough in patches. Uh, After 27 long years, my marriage broke down, and I'd have to say I pretty much broke down with it. And there was one day that I woke up and even at the age of 48 felt I just wanted to go and see my mum. Happened to be a Sunday morning and I knew where I'd find her on a Sunday morning, she'd be in church. So I walked into Gawler Baptist Church for absolutely no better reason than that. But there was that sense that I'd actually come home and it felt good and I thought I could do this a bit more regularly, perhaps once a month or so I could get back here and perhaps I could make that once a fortnight or at least every week when the football wasn't on, until it got to the stage that actually I could go to church and then get to the football, and it became a priority. And at that stage, I had my first overseas trip. Um, With my marriage breakdown and sort of having recovered somewhat, I deserved a reward, and I'd never been overseas, and I started at the very logical place going overseas. I wanted to go to Mount Everest. Seemed a good place to start. And if you can't have a religious experience in the Himalayas, then you haven't been trying. Uh, And I basically had my cathartic moment there of realising that uh, even though I'd always believed in Jesus, always believed God was in control, I'd gone through crisis in my life, wondering why God didn't help, and I'd never actually asked for help. Came back and spoke to my local pastor on it, and he invited me to speak to the church 
for five minutes, which I did, spoke for five minutes, and I then went for another 17 and a half minutes, which he let me do. Uh, and afterwards he spoke to me saying, okay, you see yourself connecting with the church, what are you going to contribute to the church? And I said something which, as a pastor, I would now like to hear people say, but nobody ever really should. I said, I don't know, if you ask me to do anything, I'll give it a try. And he said, okay, I want you to preach. Now, that goes back in my youth group days. I'd been the preacher for the youth group, but hadn't done any of that since I was about 16. But under his guidance, started doing a bit of preaching. Thought I had the theology stuff, but like it was all 40 years old. I ended up in college studying some more. And then as we had a new pastor come to the church, I spoke to him about perhaps now that I was 55, I could do a bit of study and when I'm 65, retire into the ministry. He suggested perhaps a bit sooner than that. And he was right as 10 months later, I was appointed as a pastor to the war veterans home. And at that stage looked at going into the Baptist church pastor leader training program, which I did a year later. And having got involved in that, ended up with the call to go to a church somewhere else. There was this little country church needing help and I was actually called to go back to my hometown of Manham, which I'd never intended to do. I'd never directly said I wouldn't go back because I know you can get punished for that, but it wasn't my intention. But I went back there and it was amazing. The day I walked in, I thought, I am home. That is so good. So quite a few adventures in between. Tell us a little about the about the changes you'd seen in Manham, at least you, as you observed them. You were a yeah, a child really in some ways, um, and then coming back um, as a mature age person. Uh, it's one of those things, some things change and some stay the same. Uh, my growing up, uh, all the men in the town worked at the Shearer's Farm Machinery Factory, which went bust just after I'd left the town. I don't think it was my fault, I wasn't involved. Um, and uh, has regrown as a tourism town. So things like the reserve area along the river, Marianne Reserve, has more than doubled in size and been nicely lawned since I was a, a child and it's a very nice place to come to now. The churches haven't changed at all. They're still in the 1950s and they all get together and have their service thinking what lovely people they are and wondering why nobody would walk in and join them. Uh, and it's sort of like the town is built on two hills. This is just metaphorically speaking here. And you've got all the people living on one hill and all the churches are on the other hill and they're not actually connecting. And of course, the little church I went back to, micro church, um, I was told about eight to 12 people was what you, you might expect on a Sunday. Uh, and that was about right. Uh, and in any study of church systems, you would have suggested that this group was pretty much post-mortem, just hanging around for the church to do their funerals. But they had a couple who were actually looking out the windows, suggesting perhaps we ought to be out there. And that was the way in. And of course, we have a God who specialises in resurrections. Now, you might be in a small country town, part of a church that, um, you know, may represent the past more than the future. It's interesting to see that things cha can change. And sometimes it doesn't take a lot of people to be looking out that window and to build a bridge. So we really want to celebrate the church in rural and remote places. It's not always easy, but there is future and there there is hope. And Colin and uh, the, the small band of people that um, he's a part of now uh, are representing a little bit of, about how it can be reimagined as they move forward. Now, we're going to talk that, about that just a little bit later. What I'd like to hear from Colin now, really, is 
how did this church minister thing come about? I mean, we've heard a little bit of your story and some opportunities that opened up to you, but um, some people say there's some sort of call to ministry. God might speak to them. What, what's your story there? Yeah. Mine, it was that gentle move that perhaps in the long term I would get into ministry and I started some training to do that. But the odd thing was when I actually committed to go into the pastor leader training program, I dropped around to see my best mate, good Catholic lad, um, to see he's also from my hometown, just to, so that he could congratulate me and tell me how well I was doing. But his response to me was, oh, so you're going back to Manham then? Well, actually, this was December, so I thought he'd hit the Christmas wine a bit much. So I rang up my brother who would at least know the right thing to say. But his response also was, so you could be going back to Manham then. Now, if you really try, you can push those things to the back of your mind and forget them. And it got through to February and I started the pastor leader training program and went in to see my supervisor, Andrew, who said to me, look, you're a pastor at the War Veterans Home, very, very narrow congregation. It'd be good if you preached elsewhere. I hear they're looking for people to preach at Manham. Now, Andrew didn't even know I came from Manham at that point. He went back to his desk to get something and the supervisor from the pastor leader training program dropped by and said, oh, yeah, here to see Andrew, are you very good? He said, look, I've been thinking about you and your preaching experience. Did you know they're looking for people at Manham? So if you push those things out of your mind, you can, but that one couldn't. Okay, I've been asked to do something, I should do it. Ring up, go up to Manham, get in, get out real quick. But then I did a study program, Church Systems and Congregation Health, which required me to write a paper on a church system that was stuck and how I would fix it. And given that I was a very part-time pastor at a church that I didn't actually attend because I was at the War Veterans Home, would have been really odd. And the state chief executive minister of Baptist churches was sitting in on this training and he said, I hear you're going up to Manham, why don't you write on them? Very good, only now instead of the idea perhaps once a quarter I could get in and out, I'd have to go at least monthly to get enough visits to write this paper. So I organised to go to Manham and get invited round. One of the elderly ladies invited me round for dinner afterwards. And as she's serving dinner, she comes up to behind me and said, if you came to Manham as our pastor, would you live in the manse? And I thought, good grief, they're not actually getting me going. They're talking about where I'm living now and don't they know I'm not coming? I visited twice and then got a call from the pastor who'd been filling in coming up once a fortnight to keep this church running. And the call was a little bit like... I understand you're dating my daughter, I want to know what your intentions are. And I sort of spoke to him in terms of, look, I'm studying a master's, I'll be finished in 18 months, I'm doing pastor leader training, got 18 months to go. In 18 months I'll be ready to talk about this and those magic words again, I was thinking a bit sooner than that. And uh, I went to see my spiritual director to discuss some of this stuff and she said to me, how are you feeling about going back to Manham? And I said, you seem to have forgotten I'm a guy, I don't do feelings, I do thinking. Let me tell you what I think about it. She, she pushed and pushed, how do you feel, how do you feel, how do you feel? And finally I said, look, it's just daunting. I'm training to be a pastor, I don't know how to run a church that works, let alone one that's nearly dead. I don't know what to do. And we both sat there for a moment as sort of the penny drop for me that I wasn't supposed to know what to do, God has the plan. I was meant to go and join in with God's plan. At the end of that meeting, I thought, right, have to ring up the uh, people at Baptist Churches SA and say, I'm going to Manham. There you go. Uh, sometimes people call God the hand of heaven and he has a way of um, getting 
people um, bringing them home and showing him showing us where he wants us to go as well and Colin has a real story of that yeah sometimes you talk about uh, God leading people my experience is that he actually leads from behind and he tends to kick a bit <laughs> there you go we're keeping it real here this is the Red Dirt Nation podcast and we're interviewing Colin who is a boy from a town in South Australia and he has come home to help lead the church there, which um, has caught him by surprise, but uh, not God, clearly. Now, we've already talked about churches sometimes need to change, not always, but sometimes they do, and, and we need to keep moving forward. And the church that you're part of now, Colin, is sort of bravely uh, striking out in a very new direction. Would you like to describe for us some of the changes that are coming up? Remember, this is a, a rural place, um, older people uh, are part of a small number in a church, and so this is a pretty big deal. So tell us what's going on, mate. Uh, when I went back to Manham in 2012, it was the same time that the government did an early development census, basically assessing how well kids were positioned as they started school. And it showed some very disturbing figures. In South Australia, the Mid-Murray Council area was second only to the APY lands in terms of children's vulnerability. And the town of Manham was actually twice as bad as the rest of the reason, uh, region. So uh, the town I grew up in was no longer a good place to raise a child. And the council actually put out the call, is anybody actually interested in doing something about this? And it resulted in the formation of a group called Mid-Murray Family Connections, which I joined in with, thinking church doesn't have any answers, but we really should be part of this to try and come up with answers. And over several years, that developed a structure to try and do things, low cost, no cost, because we had no money. And I became one of the supervisors in that group, liaising with some of the CEOs and so forth of these big organisations and government bodies, and one thing that was raised was that there was no place for the children's services to come in Manham, so they didn't come. And the call went out to the government, can you help us build a children's centre? Uh, to which when they stopped laughing, they said, no, little rural towns don't get that sort of stuff. And this was where the penny dropped with me that we had a church that was saying, how do we connect with the community? How do we connect with the community? How do we connect with the community? And I took it back to the church and says, why don't we build a children's wellbeing centre? Now, we're a little church at this stage. We had 14 members. Four of them were over 90. And yes, I did say 90, like nine with a zero after it. We had only one person under 60 because I'd gone and got myself a wife who was younger than me. And we didn't have a taxpayer amongst us. But this group voted to investigate the possibility. And really things have kicked off from there. Uh, we wanted to do a feasibility study, which we didn't have money for, but a benevolent group, Dusseldorf Forum in New South Wales, put up 10 grand for it. They had never done anything outside of the eastern states before. And we then had groups around Manham, including the church, Baptist Care, local council, local school, Anglicare, medical centre, private citizens, all kicking in money. And we came up with enough money to do the feasibility study, which confirmed the need to do something and set out a bit of a program for doing how we might go ahead. We're just trying to tighten that up a bit more now to see if we can get some government funding. Uh, we had identified where we wanted to build but found, no, that's too separate from existing community facilities. We'll have to integrate with things if we want government funding. But this is going ahead. 
to raise money, we've sold our chapel. We're a little group. We don't actually need an old chapel. And it, it was a beautiful old chapel built in 1890, but again, it was a tie to the past and we're looking to the future. We were meeting in an old house we called our tea rooms. We've just got a contract on that now. So from the 1st of December, we're actually going to be the itinerant church looking for a new home. Well, that's, uh, I love that story about rather than it being a church apart from the community, it's a church that is a part of the community and how the church is cooperating with other churches for sure, but also other benevolent organizations to together partner to do something pretty important. And I see that as a, as a big way forward that um, the church wants to be part of a community and, and the best way to express that is to work cooperatively with all people of goodwill in that place. And so Colin's leading that way. Yeah, the initial thought we had was we could build a new church and attach a few bits onto it that would help the community. But that has swung right round to know we're going to build some general community centre which the church will also use. So there'll be some sort of training room or an auditorium or a theatre or something which will be our worship space. We'll have consulting rooms and maybe Headspace will use it Monday, the psychologist on Tuesday and its Bible study group on Wednesday uh, and we will fit in with the centre. Much easier to do it that way. And creates a real hub uh, for the community, which is absolutely outstanding. So again, um, you might be in a situation where you feel like uh, you're always looking in the rear vision mirror. And I'm inspired by the story of Colin and this little church and the whole community that is rallying to really protect their future because creating this well-being center for children is really an investment in what's ahead. Tell us some of your dreams as far as that is concerned, Colin. Uh, well, the dream is that we're going to have kids starting school in a good position to do it, not behind the eight ball. Uh, and it's really about the well-being of the children. Um, yes, it would be nice if we had our church grow. We like that. But the main thing is to show love to our community. And we believe if we do that, that people will in some way connect with us. Uh, our focus is on let us serve the community and let God take care of the growth. How good. Well, you're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast and I'm interviewing Colin Nias and he's telling the story of his journey in, away from and then back to a little country town called Manham here in South Australia. Now, we want to cast our vision a little further now, Colin, and say, where have you been in Australia that has sort of really blown you away? Something that's very memorable for you from this great red land. Uh, yeah, I have travelled uh, bits of it, uh, really covered... Um quite a bit of the populated parts of South Australia, not so much the outback, uh, not much of Victoria I haven't seen, although that was obviously pre-COVID. Uh, and I lived in Sydney for three years and acted as a tourist each weekend, so I've probably seen more within a day trip of Sydney than most of the locals, but only really the very southern bit of uh, Queensland. And uh, sort of the bit that blows my mind, it's, uh, I mean, the mighty Murray River, which I take for granted because I see it every day, is actually pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Uh, I love Wilpena Pound, some of the Flinders. Uh, and, of course, then you get the, some of the man-made things. Uh, as I said, I lived three years in Sydney, worked at the AMP building on Circular Quay on the 16th floor, looking out the window with Harbour Bridge one side and Opera House the other. Wow. Great place to take the kids on fireworks night. Uh, so Sydney Harbour's pretty amazing too. I like that actually, some of the natural formations, but also some of the, the great creations that uh, people of great inspiration and ability have put together. So that's a really, really good reflection, mate. Now you obviously have hopes for uh, young people, particularly in Manham, and 
we want to just look a bit bigger at uh, Australia as a nation and where we're going. I know you're a future-oriented person, mate. What are you? What are some of your hopes and dreams for us as a country as we move forward? Yeah, I just see so much where the church seems to have moved. Uh, the country seems to have moved away from God. And uh, it, it worries me that I see things across South Australia as getting it in Queensland with things like uh, abortion bills up to full term, which how can killing babies ever be a good thing? And I just want to see the country move back. We're concerned that we seem to, you know, we hear the church is in decline, the church is in decline. Well, I can tell you, Baptist churches, they say, have basically grown continually um, since the 1800s and it hasn't changed now. Uh, we're looking to connect with the community. We see figures that the new generations, the millennials and so forth, are much more open to the story of God. And I think there is a lot of hope because we have younger people who are asking questions. We hear about people who say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. I think what that means is I'm looking for God. And so long as we have a lot of people who are looking for God, we have to make sure that we position ourselves to say, hey, we've actually got some answers for you here. Wow, that's really, really good. Now you've um, you've lived some life, you've been around the block, we've heard about some of the, you know, the tragedy, I guess, in your life, as well as some triumphs too. You're probably in a position to share a little bit of life wisdom with uh, those of us who are listening. So what's one thing, Colin, that you'd like to pass on to the people who, um, who are listening into the podcast? I would just say that um, when somebody comes to faith, they seem to be on fire and somehow the church can actually even stamp that fire out to them. You know, you've got to conform a bit. How do we keep that fire going? I think uh, if only I could have followed God all of the way instead of having a gap of quarter of a century of doing things my own way. Um, somehow, I don't know where it came from, I had an arrogance in me that said, I can do anything I put my mind to. Don't people teach their kids that? And the bottom line is you can't. If you jump off the roof with a cape, you still can't fly. And I had to be completely broken before I realised that actually if I put my mind to them some things couldn't work and even in my marriage I couldn't do it on my own some things just don't work but if we could just depend on God the whole way through and remember to actually ask him for help that was the bit I missed I went for years saying God knows my problems it's not like I need to explain them but we are told to ask and it will be given don't ask it probably won't get given Straight from the good book, Jesus teaching us about uh, how important it is to ask a God who already knows, but to have that childlike attitude of making our requests. And you can be, um, you know, six months old, or maybe not six years old, 60, whatever, and God still is looking for us to reach out and, and make our prayers and requests to him. And um, Colin's learned the lesson that better do that sooner rather than later. Well, you've been listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to Colin Nias today and I hope you've got a bit from it and for now we will catch up with you somewhere down the track. See ya.